Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's programme, All Blacks coach Steve Hanson calls for the rugby rulebook to be thrown out. The All Blacks and Samoa agree on a date, while gentleman Jean de Villiers celebrates his 100th test for the Springboks. The Wellington Phoenix finally get their man, with midfielder Michael McGlinchey cleared to play. Racing clamps down on betting by jockeys. We hear from Blacksticks veteran Crystal Forgerson, who's called it quits after 220 tests. Is the end nigh for boxer Shane Cameron? And NRL rugby scouts descend on South Auckland. Publicly at least, the Springboks rate their chances of beating the All Blacks in their rugby championship match in Wellington tomorrow, but they concede they'll have to overcome the best rugby setup in the world to do so. The All Blacks have won the last five tests against their old foes, with the Springboks' last victory coming in August 2011. Here's rugby reporter Barry Guy. As it goes to Cruden, works it off to Hoare. Now here's Reed, showing good pace. Karen Reed slips a beautiful pass to Ben Smith, and here he goes again. Ben Smith, he can do nothing wrong. Nothing is guaranteed in sport, especially results, but as many sports teams will say, if you get the associated items in line, the players can be left to do the thing they do best. Well, it seems New Zealand rugby has got the off-field situation working well. The Springbok coach Heineken Meyer believes the All Blacks have an advantage over them because of the systems in place in New Zealand, including central contracting, while all the provincial, super rugby, sevens and age group teams are all working together to produce All Blacks. The job is to produce All Blacks, to help each other and play more or less the same way and, and they've got a very big skill base where they improve. So when you get to the national strategy, scrimmaging wise they go around, line-out wise they go around, so as a national coach you know exactly where you're going and a lot of the skills is... You know, it's, it's really in place. We, it's not to knock our system, it's just more difficult that uh, each, each franchise is contracted on their own and play their own type of rugby. So using a national coach, only get him on a Monday before a test, which is difficult. The All Blacks coach Steve Hansen has been involved at the top level here since 2004 and has played a big part in the local programme. He says they have to work collectively. There's no ideas that aren't shared uh, within New Zealand rugby men. I mean, I think in my time... Every year we've had conferences where we've sat down and shared uh, the information that we've learnt that year. The players get put first as opposed to you as a coach wanting an outcome because we know that if we don't look after the player then we won't have the golden eggs as such. That's not the case in South Africa with players contracted to provinces and the national coach having no say until the box come together. Meyer also believes the All Blacks are better conditioned. Where we've been falling out behind is uh, our fitness levels. If you look at what happened with the game, the ball in play has been you know, probably last 10, 12 years, 21, 22 minutes. Now the ball in play is 32, 36 minutes, so that's an extra 10 minutes of running. 
And I think the, the, the days are gone by where South Africa pick a big pack and outmassle them. The referees have certainly been in the spotlight recently. Numerous players sin-binned, bad calls, including one denying the Pumas a try last week. Steve Hansen says if he was allowed to do one thing in the game, it would be to rip up the rule book, which he says has too many rules, and many of those are open to interpretation. Hansen says there's a lot of pressure on referees, and he has an idea how to change that. I'd like to see them employ the top ten refs and get them to do all the games, and that way they'll be they'll become better and more consistent. Employ, give them two touch judges for the year, and say right, that's your team, and we'll judge you as a team, not just as you in the middle. And I don't think touch judges, uh, referees make great touch judges. Both Hanson and Meyer concede penalties and yellow cards could well determine the game this weekend. A Springbok win would put them ahead of the All Blacks on the championship ladder. Barry Guy with that report. And Australia play Argentina on the Gold Coast tomorrow night in the other rugby championship test match this weekend. And New Zealand and Samoa have set a date. This week the two unions have confirmed that next year's historic All Blacks test in Apia will be played on July the 8th. The two sides have played five tests since their first encounter at Eden Park in 1993, but they've never played in Samoa. The chairman of the Samoa Union and the country's Prime Minister, Tuilaipa Salili, hopes the All Blacks' visit will lead to other top-flight nations coming to Samoa. There's excitement too at the prospect Samoa may be able to field players of Samoan heritage who have previously played for other countries. With rugby becoming an Olympic sport in 2016, Olympic regulations open the way for players who have previously played international rugby for one country to switch allegiances in sevens. And that's carried over into the 15 as a side again. The Samoa assistant coach is the former New Zealand and Samoa international, Alama Uramia. He spoke to the media this week about just what the test match in Apia means and the rule changes around eligibility. Obviously a very proud moment for, uh, for the country and especially this occasion uh, to finally get it sealed and to sign off. Um, I feel real privileged to actually be part of it so it's a lot of excitement and a lot of preparation to go under the, obviously into this game now so yeah, no, pretty pumped, eh? especially now that it's official. So, I suppose uh, what you've gone through, you've realised how difficult it is to get a team like the All Blacks into the into the islands. Yeah, it is, and that's why we've, like I mentioned, it's you know, it's, it's a huge occasion for us to actually even you know get the All Blacks up there, and uh, we'll make sure that uh, that we actually put on a decent preparation into it. You know, we're we're quite excited about the occasion, but at the end of the day. It is a all-black test match and, uh, versus us, so we're going to make sure we actually prepare well. And uh, I'm saying that the players will definitely be looking forward to, you know, to test yourself against the best uh, in your home country. And you, you, know, you get the best, will you? Yeah, at this stage, yeah, we'll, uh, we're definitely looking at uh, getting our best players over there. Um, at that stage, I think the, the UK season would have uh, just started winding down. We would have had some players for maybe... Uh, three weeks, four weeks at that stage, so um, a little bit similar to the build-up they have over here, but uh, but no, we'll certainly be getting our best players because uh, that's very important for us. Does that include someone like I say, Toei Arbor, or what's the process there? In terms of how far how far down the track are you with that? <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, obviously well documented that we're looking at, uh, and we are we're in the process of uh, putting applications through to get uh, certain certain players over the line. Um, obviously, can't name any players at this stage because of the process and that, but. Uh, no, we're certainly looking at that in the balance of, of making sure we look after our own as well. So, you know, we, uh, we've got to make sure we develop our own and, and make sure we get the balance right because uh, the last thing you want is people just to walk into the team. Is it quite tricky yeah. though because they've got to play a round of sevens, don't they, to become eligible? 
Yeah, they have, and that's the that's obviously the amnesty uh, ruling from the IRB that we have to we have to go through. Identify the tournaments, identify the players. Obviously, the intentions of that player. You know, are they playing sevens? Are they playing fifteens? And so there's a lot of unknown in the, in the whole process. So we're just going through that as a as a union, and obviously the IRB and, and other unions as well, because it's not just us. You know, we've got to we've got to make sure we talk to companies, clubs, and. And, and overseas, uh, overseas unions as well. I mean, can you just give us your thought, though, actually on that loophole? I mean, it's a bit of a lot of lifeline for the island nations, but I mean, it's pretty great, you know, considering you guys can pick up an ex-all that could be pretty serviceable for you guys when, you know, you sort of cast aside. Oh, I'm absolutely wrapped about it. You know, uh, for me, it's, it's about making sure that we get the best players uh, playing at the, at the highest level, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, some ones that are playing around that obviously have been capped, but uh, still have the potential to actually offer our country. So um, I'm pretty excited about the fact that we can get them over the line, but it's, uh, it's a long way down the track at this stage, so we'll wait and see. And in the All Black side you'll come up against, I know it's not ideal, but you know, in, during the playoffs of the Super Rugby, but uh, you'll still be up against a good side? Yeah, well, any All Black side is a good side. So we'll certainly be preparing for to play the best in the world, and and uh, we're going to be pretty excited about it, and uh, we'll make sure the boys, um, you know, make sure they put on a good, good performance for for the occasion. So it's one thing to get excited about the occasion, but you've you obviously got to perform. Uh, and what about playing in RPA? How difficult will it be for them? Yeah, well, that'll be the interesting one. Uh, probably one of the hottest games that's going to be played. Um, a different type of rugby up in the islands. Um, obviously, it's a it's a different atmosphere as well, you know, with the, the crowd and festivities that go on before that so it's going to be pretty exciting but uh, as I mentioned it is a test match and we've got to make sure that we actually put in a decent performance to, you know, to make sure that we beat the All Blacks. Do the crowds actually get really close up to the touchline? Is it going to be a case of them crammed in and the All Blacks are going to know they're going to be awaiting? You're talking about intimidation factor here? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Possibly. No, they'll, they'll be intimidating through laughter and that so no, I mean as I mentioned uh, the whole country will be excited about this, and uh, as the Prime Minister mentioned, uh, we've had a big international conference here, so we're, we're pretty experienced at hosting big events, and this will be uh, this will be one of them. So we'll make sure that people behave. Dalama Iremia. Meanwhile, the New Zealand Rugby Chief Executive Steve Chew says as part of the agreement, they'll only have their costs covered and won't make any money from the match. All Black players involved in the last two weeks of the Super Rugby playoffs in 2015 won't be available for the Apia Test. Gentleman John, he might be off the field, but the Springbok captain Jean de Villiers won't be treated in a gentlemanly fashion when he plays the All Blacks in Wellington tomorrow night in what will be his 100th test for South Africa. De Villiers can't quite believe he's about to reach the milestone, given he wondered whether he'd ever get a second test after a fleeting debut. Now Dupria, Stain de Villiers, over the top of Barrett, de Villiers scores! Jean de Villiers has played 21 of his 99 tests against the All Blacks, but when he lasted only seven minutes in his test debut against France in November 2002, he wondered whether he'd get to have a test career at all. Certainly there, there were definitely times when, when, I, when I didn't think that I would get to number two. Getting injured seven minutes into your debut is not something you really dream about. And then being out for nine months, uh, coming back prior to the World Cup, playing that, that warm-up game, playing 15 minutes that time, getting injured again, another eight months out. And and certainly you do test your character and you, you go through, or certainly I, I went through a lot of hard times, but, uh, you know, I believe I got through it stronger and, um, you know, never imagined that I would get to 100. The All Black centre, Conrad Smith, has come up against De Villiers on many occasions 
and he's got to know him well. As a player, you know, he's not me I, I respect more in terms of how good a player he is, but also off the field, he's probably the, f- the first player I, I really uh, struck up a relationship with. Even after the games, he was always quick to have a word to me, and I just respect the way he's played a lot of Super Rugby games. He stuck around um, in South Africa and, and served as obviously his country really well, and now he's captaining them. And yeah, he's just um, you know one of the nicer guys you, you get to play against. So you know to see him playing 100 games, is, you know it's huge. I wish he was playing somewhere else against someone else because I'd love him to win. But uh, you know it's uh, it, it'll be a great contest. Reflecting on his international career, De Villiers says matches against the All Blacks are among the most special. My first game I played against the All Blacks, I scored in the first 27 seconds of the game. So that was pretty special. We did manage to lose that game in the last minute, thanks to Dougie Howlett, later a teammate of mine. So that, that, that stands out, but, but probably the one that stands out the most would be... Uh, the first time I played them in South Africa, uh, which was also my first test at Newlands, uh, you know, being my home ground, and, and we managed to win that game and, and also managed to score a try, so that one probably stands out the most. And then also when we, when we beat them in 2009 uh, to win the, the Tri-Nations, uh, also scored a try on the day and, yeah, won the competition. So obviously the ones you win stand out more than the ones that you lose. Heineken Meyer says when he became Springbok coach, he didn't know De Villiers very well at all, but he was soon impressed. I've worked with a lot of captains, but he's, uh, he's right there at the top. Um, he's a, firstly, I think, an unbelievable human being. As a captain, he's well-respected throughout, you know, throughout the world. Um, you know, when we started together, I didn't know him that well, but we said, you know, we want to really be ambassadors for rugby. Believe it or not, South Africa wasn't always that welcome throughout the world uh, by the way we played and, uh, you know, off-the-field incidents as well. So... Uh, He's really epitomised that. I think the great thing about the guy is that he's so humble and he makes time for people and uh, whenever he gets onto the field, <coughs> he's a fierce warrior and he gives his heart you know, to, his, to his country and to his team. But once he's off the field, he's a great bloke and um, you know, people like being around him. De Villiers says when his rugby career comes to an end, he hopes people remember him for more than just what he achieved on the field. I would like my kids to be proud of me, you know, in, in the way that I conducted myself on and off the field. You know, in, in the world today, there's so many bad stuff happening and talk about drugs, you know, talk about, you know, killings and, and murders and, and all of that. And, and there's a lot of bad stuff. Uh, and I think if they can aspire to something like rugby and the Springboks and, and see what that, what that can give them, uh, then I think uh, we've done our job. The 80 minutes on Saturday, that's part and parcel of the job, but that's a very small part of what we actually do and, and what we stand for. Jean de Villiers will be the fifth Springbok to play 100 tests, the others being Victor Matfield, John Smith, Percy Montgomery and Brian Habana. Smith and Habana both lost their 100th test matches, with South African media suggesting there's a centurion's curse. De Villiers will have to overcome that, and he's also no doubt aware that it's three years and six tests since the Springboks last beat the All Blacks. The Central Coast Mariners have released the All Whites footballer Michael McGlinchey from his contract, allowing him to play with A-League rivals the Wellington Phoenix. The 27-year-old midfielder who was contracted to the Mariners until January next year had been at the centre of a protracted contract saga since informing the club of his decision to sign with the Phoenix. Last month, the Football Federation Australia arbitrator ruled that he was still contracted to the Central Coast. However, McGlinchey was in the process of appealing that decision. 
The latest movement that McGlinchey's finally set to play for the Phoenix in a pre-season match in Newcastle tomorrow night. And the club's general manager, David Dome, says that's a huge relief. No player likes having Sydney around his career. So, you know, it puts that to bed, gets it tidied up, and, and um, Michael and the team can crack on now. And Ernie, with the, uh, the pre-season now well underway, gives them four weeks of, of solid training together as a squad uh, before the first game against Perth. Michael's obviously missed out on match time football, at least uh, for the recent times, though he, it is kind of fortuitous timing given that the tour is about to begin the three-match tour to Australia. No, that's right. So that was, we were very keen to, to get try and, and help get it tidied up as, uh, in time for those three games, starting against Newcastle and then uh, Sydney United and then Sydney FC uh, in the next week. So, yeah, really good for him. Um, he's been trying, as, well, you know, as you know, he's been training with the team now for quite some time and those connections and, and contacts have been made within the squad. So, I mean, that's been going very, very well, but there's nothing like match day. Have you spoken to Michael himself? He's not uh, nervous or weary at all about heading to enemy territory so soon after it's been uh, resolved? <laughs> no, no. I mean, to be honest with you, it, it's been, while it's been difficult and a bit protracted, it's been a fairly amicable negotiation per- uh, window over the whole period. Um, the, the Central Coast and one of the things actually have very good ongoing relationships and working relations. Um, this has been a bit of a hiccup that we've had to get through, but we remain, um, you know, as a club, we're, we're very similar. So, you know, we remain quite quite close to Central Coast, and I'm sure we'll get past this. But look, I'm looking forward to that game against Central Coast, the first one. I think it's in uh, in December. Uh, that first game against Central Coast should be a cracker here in, uh, in New Zealand. Given how amicable the relationship is, did it surprise you then how long it's taken? Well, these are things that are funny, though. I mean, it, there's, there's no doubt there were complications in this one. Uh, and as you know, it went through the arbitration process, which made it that much longer. Uh, when you, as soon as you go to arbitration and you get lawyers involved, it becomes way more complicated and complex than otherwise it should have been. So, you know, surprised, probably not. Disappointed, yes, but pleased it's all over now. And the appeal, does that now just get dropped because it's a non-issue anymore? That's right. So certainly the, the appeal that Michael had and the PFA had with Central Coast uh, and the arbitrator over over his original findings has disappeared, yeah. And Michael himself, obviously he's really enjoying living in the capital city, Wellington. How have you? Uh, how has he sort of reacted to the news? Oh, look, he's stoked, absolutely stoked. So he, I mean, he's been fantastic throughout the whole process. He, he's understood that it's, it's complex and it's a difficult one, um, but he's kept his spirits up and the boys have rallied around him. There's no doubt about it. The, the club's rallied around him as a player to, to, to try and keep his spirits up through his time. He's been fantastic. It did get difficult in the last week, actually. I mean, there was... It's been hard for his family, obviously, to, to, to really put down roots and settle. But now that this is across the line, everyone's away. And, and, and we're just really excited about the season and, and the quality, really, of the squad. Once you add Michael into that squad that Ernie's assembled, it's a quality-looking squad. And we're really, really confident of how we're going to go this year. Going through the process that, like you say, has been difficult at times for Michael, did his attraction or desire to live in Wellington, or I guess his fondness for the city, play a part at all, do you think, in, in helping him get through the tough times you know, without chucking the talent? Yes, absolutely. He loves it here. Uh, his family, his wife love it here. Uh, he's fitted in just so easily into the club culture. Um, the players love having him around. It's like he's been here for, for, for years. Um, there was this, always this transfer thing or always this um, uh, thing hanging over his head, the, the termination of his contract with Central Coast hanging over his head. Um, but now that it's been cleared away, I'm sure they're just going to absolutely uh, be buzzing now as a, as a playing squad and, and really looking forward to getting on with it. And Ernie, does he feel like the delay, I guess, in getting this over the line has, has hindered his preparation at all for the season? 
I don't think it's hindered that. I mean, it would have been absolutely ideal. Of course, it would have been ideal if Michael had been in, uh, in the Football United Tour with Newcastle and West Ham. That would have been fantastic, not just for us as a squad, but for him as a player. Um, as a coach, Ernie has every right to be frustrated because uh, you know he's all about the results on the field and he wants his best possible squad together so he can start pulling them all together. But Ernie's been fantastic throughout this as well. He's understood there's a process and he's always been um, kept in the loop. And um, I think now, you know, with it out of the way, will be he'll, he'll be just so wrapped that he can really now concentrate on the start of the season. So certainly not putting you at too much of a disadvantage. No, I don't think so. Look, again, it would have been fantastic if we had him there for the Football United Tour with West Ham and Newcastle, but it is what it is. And, and now they're still, I mean, like I say, he's been with the squad actually now for, you know, a good part of four, six weeks, more six weeks plus. So he has been training with us. So that's been helpful. But there's nothing quite like match day. And now with these, like you say, these three games in Australia, it gives him a real chance to, to go out and anger and play with the team and, and, and start forming those connections on the field on a match day situation. And something special about bringing home a genuine New Zealand star to play for New Zealand's A-League team. Not just a New Zealand star, but a genuine A-League star. He is a player who is well-respected throughout the A-League. He's been part of the Central Coast Mariners championship-winning side, and he's been fundamental in those championship-winning sides. And you've got to remember, he's only 27. He's still a young player. He's, a, he's now coming into his peak as a, as a as a midfield player, attacking midfield player, creative midfield player, he's now coming into the best part of his football career. So we're really excited about about having Mikey come on board with us and, and being part of the squad and, and, and really taking it to the next level. And if you look at who's going to be playing next, there was the likes of Ronnie, Ronnie, uh, Rolly Bonavecchia, um, Alex Rodriguez, who we signed as well, and Nathan Burns. I mean, these are quality, quality players that he's going to be playing in the, in the midfield for. So everyone's, you know, everyone's fitting. That's Wellington Phoenix General Manager David Dome talking to Joe Porter. New Zealand's racing authorities have announced a crackdown on betting by jockeys. The move comes after the rider David Walker was charged with two counts of betting on one horse and then reigning in his own mount during the same race. A hearing is scheduled for next week on these charges. New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing has now announced tough new rules. These will prevent jockeys from betting on any race if they're riding in any race themselves that day. Historically, jockeys have been permitted to bet on any race they were not competing in. At the same time as toughening its own rules, Thoroughbred Racing is calling for a law change to make bets placed overseas fairer and free of corruption. Checkpoint's Jim Mora spoke to the agency's chair, Matthew Goodson, about the matter. Two key issues, really. Uh, there are offshore websites which are obviously easily accessed in this day and age. Uh, they t- accept bets on New Zealand racing and New Zealand sport, and they pay no money back to uh, to racing or sport for that. Uh, but in, in this context, they also don't, uh, with two exceptions, uh, share information uh, about the bets that have been placed, which, uh, you know, in the light of uh, recent events, is obviously quite concerning. Okay, so those with skin in the game, like jockeys riding horses, they could uh, not easily be identified through those overseas betting sites. That's right. Uh, you know, racing has obviously uh, uh, been linked you know, closely with wagering for you know, well over 100 years, so we have very well-developed integrity systems uh, in New Zealand, you know, and as seen by, you know, by obviously the current, uh, the current issue, uh, which was caught under the old rules. Uh, however, uh, you know, with the uh, spread of uh, the internet uh, and you know, increasing borderless nature of this, uh, we do need some ability to also uh, 
you know, to also keep uh, track on uh, on uh, what people may or may not may not be doing overseas. So, do you think a lot of people like jockeys may be placing dubious bets overseas? Can you tell? What's your supposition? Uh, I don't believe that's the case. Uh, I believe New Zealand racing is up there with Hong Kong as amongst the cleanest in the world, uh, despite the current allegations. Uh, however. Uh, you know, you really need to be out in front of potential issues. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so we're very encouraged uh, that the major parties do appear to be supporting us uh, in our call okay. uh, the... for, uh, for a law change on this issue. All right, your integrity systems, the phrase you used. How do you know if jockeys are betting in New Zealand, uh, betting wrongly, placing bets on races they can influence? Historically, the rule has been that a jockey, has, uh, can, if they are betting, riding in a race, they can only bet on their own horse, uh, and they have to do it uh, in their TAB account. Uh, so clearly that creates a, an electronic trail, uh, which, can be, uh, which can be followed. Uh, some months ago, uh, well before this incident, uh, we set in place a consultation process to toughen up those rules, as they were among the more liberal in the world. Uh, and out of that process, uh, today's rule change uh, has come in, which is that a jockey cannot bet on any horse under our rules on a day on which they are riding. Okay. Uh, and the idea being, of course, that a jockey uh, can have a direct influence over the outcome of a race. You're going to be talking about uh, a complete ban on jockeys betting at all, aren't you? Uh, that uh, will come back uh, to our board uh, for discussion and the process we then go through. Uh, is one of consultation with the industry, so with the Jockeys Association, with the trainers and with other interested, interested parties in the industry. Do you think you're and catching most of them? Out of that consultation, a, uh, a rule may or may not come out of that. All right. Do you think you're catching most of them, Matthew? Pardon me? Do you think you're catching most of them? Well, uh, this is the first instance that uh, I can remember. All right. Uh, so uh, I think you know, the answer is clearly yes, but uh, you want to make absolutely sure that uh, you know that uh, all avenues are closed off. You know, it's both the uh, appearance and the actuality of integrity that matters. That's the chairman of New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing, Matthew Goodson, talking to Jim Mora. The New Zealand women's hockey veterans Crystal Forgerson and Bianca Russell have announced their retirement from the international game. The 31-year-old midfielder Forgerson and goalkeeper Russell, who's 36, are both turning their focus to their full-time jobs. North Harbour's Russell retires as one of New Zealand's best-ever keepers, earning 75 caps after making her debut in 2008. She played at the London Olympics and two World Cups and says she won't be leaving the turf completely, though. She plans to play summer hockey in the North Harbour competition this year and may yet still play club and National League next year. Forgerson steps aside as the fourth-highest capped black stick with 220 tests and the Aucklanders' 77 goals make her the current all-time highest goal scorer alongside Katie Glynn. She made her debut in 2005, played in two World Cups and Olympics and three Commonwealth Games. I thought I would only ever play up to London and then things were going pretty well and I was still enjoying it. So yeah, I just decided to continue on and yeah, this year I was, I mean, I was out with injury at the beginning of the year and I really, I had that hunger to keep going for a little bit. But yeah, with World Cup and Com Games, they're pretty full on tournaments and I just don't think realistically I could have kept going to Rio. What's telling you that? I think just managing it with my career, it's really hard to sort of balance the both and give 100% towards both. 
Um, and I think just my body as well. Recovery is getting harder each day you get up and a little bit creaky and sore. So I just, yeah, I just didn't think it was that realistic to keep going for the next year and a half. When you look back, I mean, presumably the Olympics must be uh, biggies. What, what else? I've always loved the World Cup as well. The two that I've been to in Argentina and Holland, you couldn't have asked for a better place to host them. I mean, the sport for females is huge and the crowds that you get are pretty un- unbelievable. And obviously people are just so passionate about hockey. So I think those have been a real highlight as well. 220 caps. How have things changed over that time? Although, I mean, you, you power through a fair few matches in a year, don't you, <laughs> in, in hockey? Yeah, I think when I first started off, we were, I don't know, maybe 20 a year, and it's probably doubled doubled that now. So they have sort of crept up quite quickly. Um, pace of the game has increased hugely, and you just have to be so much quicker and fitter and, yeah, stronger, you know, every tournament. Um, and I think now that the other international teams are on par with us, um, has made the game a little bit harder. So, it's, yeah, if you can sort of have those aspects in place, then it's obviously just down to the structure and skill that sort of decides games now, it seems. You're not getting so many easy games? No, no, definitely not. I mean, it's so close. It's pretty much the top 10 in the world, you know. It's, yeah, the rankings are changing each tournament. So people are dropping and other people are jumping up. So it's, it's quite back and forth at the moment. Do you think hockey players are... or are among, or if not, the fittest athletes going? Uh, yeah, I don't want to be too biased, but I would I would say so. Yeah, I think just with the skill that's involved in the sport as well, like obviously runners and triathletes and cyclists are pretty, they have quite a big ticker and they can obviously go for a long time, but I think the pace that we play at and obviously with the skill that's involved as well is pretty unique. What, what's, what is included in a, a training regime for for Black sticks. I um, mean, how many kilometres might you have to run or, I mean, gym sessions, I mean, just generally to get you to that level? Well, I think on average per game when we're away at tournaments, it's about 8Ks a game. So we try and replicate that in training. So we'll have four really hard trainings during the week where we're doing maybe 8 to 10K, like in a hard training block. And then we're maybe in the gym twice a week, sometimes with one or two running sessions on top of that. So we've found that if we do more during our training blocks when we go to tournaments, that sort of makes it a little bit easier. What are you going to miss most? Oh, miss the team and the travel and just that competitiveness that you get when you're overseas on tournaments, especially the big games, playing against the Dutch and Argentina and that Australian rivalry, like, yeah, you just can't replicate that in everyday life, and so I will miss that aspect of it. Although you're still going to have a bit of competition, aren't you? So you're, you're playing Gaelic football, you've got touch rugby, and you're also <laughs> going to do your first half marathon. You're hardly <laughs> taking time off. No, no, I've always been, um, yeah, interested in a lot of other sports, so I'm really excited to get stuck into doing a few other things, and, yeah, maybe just a little bit more relaxed environment. <laughs> I was talking to retiring Blackstick, Crystal Forgerson. Boxer Shane Cameron assists his clash with fellow New Zealand heavyweight Carly Meehan in November will be his last if he doesn't win. The two veterans headline the Super 8 fight night at Auckland's North Shore Event Centre, with Meehan having won the inaugural edition in June. Cameron's coming off two dispiriting losses to American Brian Minto in December and before that his IBO Cruiserweight world title shot against Australian Danny Green. 
Many thought Cameron was done after those defeats, but the 36-year-old's determined to go out a winner and on his own terms if he can. Though he told Richard Wayne a loss to the much bigger man will definitely mean retirement. If I don't win, mate, I'm, I'm, that's, that's the end of the road for me. You know? Yeah, man, I need, I need this one for me to bring myself back. You know, after losing my last fight, you know, I wasn't happy with that. You know, this, is, this is my drive and determination to come back with a good victory you know, against a very, very credible fighter. I'm never going to underestimate Carly Me, and he's a big, strong boy. You know, I've done a lot of camps with him. I know what he brings, mate. So that's what, uh, that's why, you know, I accepted the fight. You know, um, so uh, I'll make sure that I do everything in my powers to to be best prepared for this fight. Of course, you're used to facing, uh, you know, bigger men as well as smaller men. So you've got, you know, you've fought all sorts of fighters. Uh, he's obviously a bigger man, maybe two or three inches on you, 196 apparently. How are you yeah. going to, you know, keep him back? I'm going to make him miss, mate. I'm going to make him miss. He ain't going to be as fast as me. You know, I'm the I'm the smaller man. So, yeah, I've got a fight plan, mate. I'll, I'll be making him work. I'll be making him work. You know. So we'll see what he does, mate. Once I get inside him, I'll land those body shots on him, mate. That'll that'll slow him up. But that's what makes this fight game interesting, you know, because I sort of got my fight plan and and he's obviously got his fight plan, you know. So I need to make sure we have got more than one fight plan because he might counter that one straight away and I'm going, oh my God, this is not what we expect them to come out at, you know, so that's, that's what we don't know, so we need to prepare for for whatever he brings come fight night. You look like you've been keeping yourself in uh, pretty good shape though, mate, you've been working out in the gym even though you haven't been preparing for fights? Yeah, I always keep myself pretty trim, mate, keep pretty fit, uh, I'm sort of sitting at my natural weight at about 102 kilos at the moment, you know, I'll probably come in a bit lighter than that come fight night. But uh, I'll be, I'm, I'm happy at that weight. Obviously, outline your plans if you lose, if you win, which obviously is the ultimate goal. Where, where do you see yourself going from there? It's too far in the future. I need uh, my main focus here is to win. You know, I need to win. I need to beat Carly. Otherwise, uh, that's it. Scouts for Australia's top NRL clubs descended on South Auckland recently to try and scoop up the cream of this country's young rugby league talent at the National Secondary Schools Tournament. But New Zealand Rugby League is warning hundreds of young players that their dreams of a professional sports career are unrealistic. They need to plan for a trade or other skill to fall back on, Karen Mangnell reports. The athleticism and the, the talent is of immense quality, so uh, you'd be crazy not to come here and try and develop that talent. Peter O'Sullivan is the recruitment manager for defending NRL champions, the Sydney Roosters. At this very tournament three years ago, he spotted Roger Tuivasa-Shek, now the club's star fullback. The New Zealand Rugby League knows every young player at this week's tournament dreams of doing the same. But its football general manager, Tony Iro, says they can't afford to rely on sports for their future. The stark reality of it is that 99% of these boys will have to look for a vocation somewhere else. And that's why we want to push this message, because for all the, the glory and the, and the glamour of professional sport, most of our boys aren't going to be achieving that. Most of the young players are Pacifica and Māori and from poorer communities who see professional sports as a way out for them and their families. Tony Iro says the NZRL's message is education is the way to a more secure future and league is just the hook. All these boys have aspirations to be league or rugby players or sportsmen. We consider that to be the second option. So all our talk to them is about trying to achieve as, as best they can at school, whether that's going down a tertiary pathway or a, a trade pathway. 
Peter O'Sullivan says it's the same message across the Tasman. Part of the ethos at every NRL club and certainly the Roosters, it's no work, no study, no play. So we're hard on the boys with that area. Apart from footy, we want the boys studying, working. Study's not for every kid, so if that's not the case, they're working. The NZRL has teamed up with industry training providers, Competence and the Skills Organisation to promote trades apprenticeships to its young elite players, their families and friends. A spokeswoman for Got a Trade, Got It Made, Sophie Churievsky, says some players are already on track for further education, but most are only thinking about league. There needs to be a plan B, or more like a plan A. That's why you have the likes of Simon Mannering, who has entered into a carpentry apprenticeship. He can do that because he's, do- he's a warrior and he's doing it in conjunction. The police and defence forces have been recruiting alongside the trades at the tournament and with some success. I like sports but um, the defence forces for me because like, I just like the hard stuff. Yeah, I reckon it's a good idea having this at sports nationals. It gives people new ideas, like ideas on what to do with their future. It's my dream to play uh, league for a job and uh, getting education out of it would be very great. You know, league isn't going to last forever. Karen Magnell with that report. And Calston Boys High School overpowered arch-rival St Paul's 20-10 to to retain their grip on the NZRL National Secondary School's crown for another year. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz or you can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.